Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. What is happening, my friend? Welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. This is your host, Brad Wilson, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com. And today's guest is Swedish poker beast Anton Wig. At just 33 years of age, Anton has managed to rack up $10.8 million in combined online and MTT caches. Some of his highlights include... A 672K EPT main event victory in Copenhagen in 2010. Victories in the Sunday Millie and Sunday 500 on Stars. And recently vanquishing past Chasing Poker Greatness guest Ari Engel at the LAPC back in the good old days of February when live poker was still a thing. I very much loved my conversation with Anton as he dropped greatness bombs all over the place. He's a dude who exemplifies strength and leadership on and off the tables, a man who pushes his friends to be the best possible version of themselves, which in my opinion is what friendship is all about. And in our conversation, you're going to learn why Anton believes it's vitally important to compartmentalize his poker emotions, why being a leader in the poker space means being honest about the mistakes you make at the table, why adding more complexity to your poker game is not necessarily a good thing, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the world-class crusher from Sweden, Anton Wig. Anton, good morning, sir. How you doing? Oh, well, good, good lunch. Good lunch to you from Barcelona. Yeah, it's a good morning. Good morning from America. You're officially locked in you got nowhere to go except talk to me how does yeah, it feel it. it feels great actually um uh, i've i have the feeling that i've been prepping for this for quite some time uh just in terms of like uh being physically prepared i do a lot of yoga i meditate i, I make sure that i can do most of my work from online uh so like uh, this is my uh, this is my like tryout run you know I get to uh, get to actually like implement it and i got to travel here from uh, from the bay area and like try to make sure to not you know if if i was infected coming from an area with a lot of infections uh then i could uh they don't want to spread it to anyone else right like i'm not i'm not i'm not that worried about myself i'm i'm in excellent physical shape and i'm, I'm in an age group that's not very in danger but my main concern is spreading it to to other people. So I got to really like utilize all these small skills that I've gathered up over time and uh, make my way here in this self quarantine. So yeah, even if you you completely avoid like elderly people, you still can run into somebody else that doesn't. Right? That's very careless. So it's like such a responsibility. Yeah. Even yeah, and and seeing how people move in in in, in this uh, situation, uh, there are a lot of people that are not very careful. Which is, you know, like I get it. You know, like you uh, it, it's kind of like your first response to 
to losing someone or the similar. Like people act very differently in a time of crisis. And I think that's normal. But it's, uh, I think it's really important to like for us to, as, as people to come together and like educate people that are maybe hasn't gotten over their part of like denying that this is happening, you know, because it is happening. And that's, that's just like the, the reality of it. So if I can talk to a friend that's like, whatever, you know, like, why are you being uh, wuss? Uh, it's like staying inside and like, I don't care about this, uh, this disease. I'm like, well, maybe you don't, and maybe you won't affect anyone, but say you would get it and spread it to someone else. Then now you're actually like uh, overwhelming healthcare and all of a sudden people that should have gotten care isn't getting it. So uh, the ripple effect of it is, is quite substantial. And understanding that I think is like uh, the number one thing. Once you do that, it's like, oh shit, like it's not just about me. For sure. Uh, yeah. And hoping that people don't uh, go into like, cognitive dissonance and willful willful denial ignorance type mode but i mean I know, some people some some people always will it's just a matter it's just a matter of for us to to manage that right uh to man, to have it at a manageable level i should say yeah for sure we could probably do a whole episode on coronavirus <laughs> although i don't i don't know how much my audience would enjoy that um <laughs> especially yeah. in light of the uh I'm on my Twitter feed and it's almost overwhelming. Just so many, so many hits, you know, just everything everybody's talking about. It's very easy to get overwhelmed. Yeah, definitely. I saw Matt Hunt is now taking like a, he's only allowing himself on Twitter three times a day. <laughs> he's like uh, social distancing from social media um, <laughs> while he's in self quarantine. But. I, I I think that's smart. I mean, like, I think that's that's the way to do to do most things in life. You know, like uh, I try to limit my social media to a few interactions a day, where I have my like schedule. You know, like the schedule sounds so rigid, but like I try to make it so that you know, after dinner, I have my time to like reply to my messages and maybe like scroll through my feed and say like, ooh. You know, like someone liked my picture. Oh, that feels nice. You know, but I don't want I don't want that all the time because I know logically what that does to me. You know, like uh, it it can be overwhelming, or you can just want to get those like endorphin hits all the time, and you get addicted to it. So, I think it's smart to like either way. You know, like it doesn't have to be uh, uh, like a crisis situation for that to be a good thing. That you know, you, you check your Twitter three four times a day, and you have your like little Twitter time, and the, that's fine. You know? <laughs> we love our dopamine hits human, oh we human do. beings oh, love, love love the so dopamine much. hits <laughs> so i know you've been in cards a long time tell me the story how'd you get involved in playing cards kind of uh, i guess standard standardized story like i don't think the story of how i how i why i got good at cards is, is exactly standard but how i got started in it was uh you know playing with the friends in my football team and uh, just like really enjoying the game. Uh, this is at the time of like when poker was booming, everyone was talking about it, it was on TV everywhere. So there's like infinite material to watch on TV, to watch online. Uh, we played a game uh, at a, like there was a few guys from my football team that played and we played for like, you know, one, two bucks. If it was a high stakes game, it was like five bucks. And uh, there was a guy running the game in his like parents' house and he was a semi-pro, so he was playing uh, like 
mid-stakes cash at the time at the time and just making a lot of money he really really enjoyed the game so we came there and played at his place and i remember like being upset that this guy was always beating me because he was like obviously a way better player so i started like really paying attention to what he did that was good and then also try to see like how was he beating people and how was he trying to beat me? So I try to like, kind of like judo, you know, you want to use someone's force to get back at them. And I started like, maybe not being the biggest winner in the game, but being the second biggest winner in the game. And I could sense that he was like getting a little bit peeved that I was like up there and competing with him. Uh, so one day I asked him, I'm like, yo, like I, I find this game completely fascinating and if you don't mind, can I just sit and watch you play and, and see like how you're doing this? And would you mind explaining a few things to me? So we did. That's how that's like that's how we got to the next level in terms of uh, knowledge. You know, uh, I really understood like the the driving forces, the dynamics, the the fundamental math, uh, because he was a big math guy. So I just understood like the the fundamentals, what drives the game, and once you have that, it's kind of it's way easier to be an independent learner once you know like the basic fundamentals of how the game is structured and works. So. Define the basic fundamentals because I'm assuming that they're not like you know it's not just the structure of the game. You know, like what do the basic fundamentals mean to you? It's a it's a pretty broad question, but I mean, like if you want to start with legs, like get preflop right. You know, like you can't play certain hand categories from a certain positions or you're just going to get squashed like that's just that's just a fundamental uh what's the word a function of the game like say you're like there's there's almost no lineup at a nine-handed table where you can open pocket deuces on the gun because the effect like you you're never going to get your race through enough uh you're going to get called in a bunch of places even if you flop a set you like somewhat likely to get oversetted uh you're you're actually unblocking like all of their fold like all their automatic folds like jack deuce uh, ten deuce all those hands you're blocking so like i think deuces under the gun nine-handed is like a good example of like sure you can play it and you're not going to lose like keeps doing it but it's definitely a losing play so that's like a basic rule that you have to follow in order to like if you have an open like in this lineup this is a profitable open and then another lineup is not you know like you have to follow the rules and but also be somewhat flexible in order to exploit people that are maybe too passive or too cautious or or maybe the other way around if people are too aggressive then you just sit back and wait for wait for something good to happen because it's going to happen once you open a little bit tighter range so here's a question that I've yeah. embarrassingly took me like 16 years to ask myself. <laughs> I've only asked myself this in like the last few months as a poker player. Okay. And uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, I want to see your response. Fundamentally, why do you poker players deploy a baseline preflop strategy? I depends like i'd say like my modern answer would be because uh, solvers are now so powerful that we understand through like preflop solves we we do get the basic dynamics of uh how you want to like the how you want to have a somewhat fixed range in order to get as much work done you know like the say monk or preflop range is a very dynamic in a way where 
you want a three bet hands that feels non-intuitive to three bet because it clears out equity from a certain part of your opponent's grid. So once you say three bet queen nine suited from the big blind, you're making him fold like the ace nine off, like which is like the bottom of his opening range. Like so, I find them to be very uh, intelligent. And I find them to be very, uh, it's very easy to use. And, and I'm, I can be quite flexible with them. Like uh, all the hands that are a mix, I might shift into a full three bet because uh, I'm incentivized to do so because my opponent, I think, is like overfolded three bets or whatever. Right. So the, I don't know if that answers your questions. I went on a little tantrum, but, but like that, I, I, like, I like these things. In that way, because because it's like a, it's like a pretty solid knowledge and uh, and it's easy to work from and with. It, it's like it, it's just such an automatic thing in poker that like you know why why does Doyle why does Dan Harrington back in the day in his books give pre flop strategy like why did why is this a thing right um, why do I say oh I have aces I'm brazing under the gun just the, just snap judgment and so for me. The, the logical conclusion that I came to was that baseline preflop strategy is designed to be a it's designed to be plus EV against a random assortment of opponents. So yeah. you sit in any game, you have your preflop strategy, and you believe that it's going to be winning against any assortment of opponents, right? And like yeah. you said, the adjustments based on the opponents are what comes next. Who yeah. are the players that I'm playing against and how do I change my baseline strategy to move towards exploitation? And I, and I think that this is something that a lot of poker players miss early on in their career. They think that, oh, I was told to do this, so I'm going to do this. And the logic then goes to, so then this is profitable, period. And yeah. anybody that does something <laughs> different is making a bad is it, decision. Is, is an idiot. Yeah. Is an idiot, right? <laughs> And you can see how like insidious this just concrete belief in one strategy can become it, it, you get the blinders on and then you totally discount when somebody does something that's just absolute, that just seems absolutely crazy to you that you can't even imagine. But what you don't understand is that they're operating, you know, if assuming that they're a crusher or playing at a high level, they're operating at a much higher level than you are. So then the goal is to become like you and your friend. It's to watch what this person's doing and ask, how are they coming to this conclusion? Like if they're come, if a great player comes to a, a conclusion that's dramatically different than you, I this is the first question I always ask myself is what did they know? Like what was what was their thought process? Well, and and I, and I think I think I think you can also you can take that even further and you can uh, ask that question about other people that you, you know, like that are still uh, winning players in their own rights that are making, doing, making plays that you also find very strange. And somehow, like sometimes it might just be straight up bad, which is, which is fine. Sure. But I don't think. Expand expand on that too, by the way, by the way, before you move on, when you say it might be straight up bad and that's okay. Expand on why that, why it's okay for it to be straight up bad. Well, I mean, like it's for for them, they're not playing the same like strategy that I would deploy, right? But they're still winning players in a live environment, and the things that are straight up bad might just be 
stuff that I mean, like they they could definitely work on this. Like the the stuff that is bad is mixed in with a lot of other things that are good and aggressive and that really works in a live environment. But maybe it, like probably definitely wouldn't work in like a high stakes uh, online environment. The things that they're doing because people pay more attention and people are more geared towards maybe exploiting this type of, of playing style. But like when you're playing a pretty fast, loose and aggressive style, people live get uncomfortable or some people get scared and scared people make pretty bad decisions in my, uh, is my general understanding. So like, sure, some of, some of the hands that they play, I'm like, okay, I, I see what you were trying to do there, but like, I, I don't think that's going to end up netting your profit in the long run. And then I look at other plays that they do and I'm like, I don't think I could have. I don't think I could have like gotten away with that. But you get away with it because of like ABC hands you played in the past. Like people are literally like scared to put money in the pot against you. So you're, on the other hand, making a profit just by having shown that you're fearless. You know, like like <laughs> yeah. you, you get you get that effect of, and and that's the effect that you get in a live environment. Like I have some players that I'm like. I know that I'm technically stronger than these players are, but they just get so much shit for free that I'm like, I think their their expectancy in a live environment is higher. And so I try to learn and try to strive for like, okay, how can I emulate the things that I think they're doing really well? And how can I kind of like, how can I bring also just like psychologically bring that presence to the table that they're exuding that they just have. It's like aura of not giving a fuck or like, you know, if you're going to come after me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, like slave, you know. It's interesting that a player with a fearless rep, rep, reputation creates risk aversion just by the nature of them being themselves. And you're absolutely right that like sometimes plays get set up by past plays, and you can make a negative EV play at some point. Like, I mean, I, I typically play cash games, and I see this all the time where I make a negative. EV play and I'm like, ugh, like I hate, I don't like the way I did that. But it's like a thirty big blind pot, and then ten minutes later, there's a situation that develops where I can exploit that mistake that I just made in the eyes of somebody else for like a two hundred big blind pot, and it's yeah. almost like it, it just sets itself up naturally. Yeah, it's a, it's it's like a positive kind of compounding effect, I guess, from your previous mistake. Right. Whereas, right. Whereas, like. If you do pre-flop mistakes, then that generally compounds later in the hand to like terrible disaster and your house burning around you. <laughs> right. Typically, the mistake is like an over-aggression thing where a hand shows down and you have something that's like absolutely ridiculous and you turn it over and then you pick up some sort of value hand <laughs> 10 minutes later and you just know that like image and credibility are ruined and you're likely to get paid super yeah. wide. So let um, me let me ask let me ask you a question. Uh, like, what's your what's your default? Say you make a mistake in a hand, uh, whether it be a misclick or just like you didn't like the open you did or whatever. Like you 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 find yourself having made a mistake one way or another. Like, what's your default? Do you do you try to like aggressively play your way out of that situation? You know, like okay, then I'm just gonna see that every flop, or do you do? You, air the other way and like okay like i made a mistake but i'm not gonna like build on it kind of thing like when the hand is in progress yeah i mean like you find yourself there and you're like oh shit that was a mistake like what i do now you know i'm gonna be trying to try to use what i have in the moment so like typically 
typically what happens, I found over my cash career, is that if I make a mistake, I get in a situation, and I try to battle my way out of it, it just compounds, and I end up losing a shitload more than I would have had I just pumped the brakes. So I think my default is to pump the brakes. However, if there's information that says, you know, maybe I can exploit this guy with some bet sizings, maybe I can exploit this guy because they're overfolding on certain uh, certain board formations and stuff like that, then I'll still I'll still kind of go ham. But by default, uh, but again, like it's hard to trust myself. It, I, I say that these things compound and I make tons of mistakes, but this could be negativity bias, right? I can't go back and actually yeah. see the results of, of these hands. You can um, run a solve and you can put the A4 offsuit in there. It's like you're on the gun <laughs> open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I need to run a solver on that one. I'm pretty confident on the 8-4 the off UTG. But Yeah, exactly. No, but I, I'm not like uh, once once the Beyblank calls, you're like, all right, well, you know, now we're here. You know, yeah, not, I, I'm, I'm still gonna see about the flop, but like, I, might, I might, I might, I might just be, I might just be done with it. Meeting resistance, you know, like I, it's just one of those things that I've, I, I don't know if it's if if I'm biased in it, but I all the times, most of the times, more times than others, when I've tried to like just build on a mistake it really compounds and i think that's a that's a really good lesson it took me a very long time to learn to get over my ego and just be like okay whatever like i made a mistake next you know and i think it's one of the most crucial skills to to have in poker to be humble enough to be honest with having made a mistake you know like if i come to the tournament, I, i'm not gonna like make it a better story for my swaps i'm gonna go to them and say like yeah, I fucked up. I paid a sound like shit. I, I'm, I'm sorry, you know? And they're like, that's okay. It happens to me too. And it's almost like you can sense like a sense of relief from them when you're honest with that because they're like, oh, that's so nice and refreshing. Like he's not beating himself up, but he's also just like admitting that he made a mistake and then that's probably not going to happen again. But once you start building that kind of dissonance, I guess, towards your mistake and like try to build something over that then that's a really dangerous path to go down as 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 a poker player i think so and it took me a long time to learn to like really be more humble about that it's very limiting to build that dissonance on a mistake and try to justify it in some way and it is cathartic when people you know I, i would assume you're not swapping with like Rex, right? You know, you're 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 one of the one of the the great tournament players that are traveling around and playing the game. So you're obviously swapping with with great players. And yeah, I'm actually like I'm actually like good luck Chuck. Uh, like every time I swap with people, they end up winning. So I'm I'm up infinite on swaps. <laughs> it's nice. Um, <laughs> that that's an okay superpower to have. It is. It's great. It's great. It, it works out for everyone for sure. This this is the biggest tell for me that somebody's going to struggle in poker that they're going to have lots of issues when their degree of certainty on all of their decisions is like 80% plus. This is when I realize like this person doesn't doesn't get it. Like they don't see that like I you know I I try to play a thousand hands of cash a day and this has been pretty much my system forever. And mm-hmm. every day I'm making decisions that I'm like 20% certain on. And I, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't know if I'm right or wrong and I just do it and then I move on. And like when you, when you said 
what do I do like when I find myself making a mistake? Like post hand, I just move on. I don't even I don't even think about it. Like I don't latch on. I, I don't berate myself anymore. Like when I do a database review, I'll go through it now yeah. because because to, here's something another interesting thing that I found. Sometimes say I lose two buy-ins and then I do something absurd and lose a third buy-in. And I'm like super annoyed with myself and I'm like, what were you thinking? Like th- that was so dumb. What were you doing? And then like two weeks later, I'll look back at my database and I'll review the hand with a clear, clear mind. And I'll think that wasn't as, that wasn't as ridiculous as you thought it was. Yeah. It, it just seemed more ridiculous because you were stuck at the time and you were emotional. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, Admit to yourself that you have a low degree of certainty in some spots, and if they're pivotal and they come up all the time, this is a great place to dive in deep, right? And do some studying to shore up that aspect of your game. Yeah, exactly. And like, if if I ever, you know, work with, uh, I, I don't I don't coach uh, for profit, but I coach fans sometimes, and, and like uh, have people that I uh, would like to do well, or have horses that I that I talk uh, talk to. And what I, the first thing I do is just like, let's just run a VPIP filter. Like, let's just run every single hand that you VPIP from preflop and see, are there any like overarching leaks in your game? Like, uh, I think most accomplished poker players still have uh, fundamental like mindset leaks, whether it be, uh, I think tournament players generally are like too risk adverse when it gets late into a tournament. Which is like uh, there, there's a little bit of an effect of like I see I'm actually being in place, so you should stack off, you know, like slightly tighter, and, and like there, there is some incentive to be slightly more passive. But I think a lot of people are like they they see they see the final table there, and I, I think this is like one of the biggest takeaways in MTTs that like the, this is the time to kind of be more aggressive because your BB hundred is skyrockets because people are just overfolding on every single note. Right? So do, doing these reviews with people, it's uh, everyone has different leaks, but it usually stems down to some type of insecurity and some type of mindset issue. That doesn't really have much to do with, with poker. It has much more to do with uh, who they are as a person. And then, Starting from from that point, you can really like say, okay, like you're not you're playing too passive. Next time you're in this situation, like just I, I can't remember what video it was, but someone said it. it's like next time you're in this situation, just like you know don't punt, but like really fucking go for it. Like just just turn the heat up and and like don't let yourself leave with that feeling of being run over or being like too passive. And then you do that. In like maybe a lower stakes environment until you've kind of gotten over your this negative feeling towards towards yourself mainly and uh, and I've seen like really quick increases in people's game because they regain that confidence and like this is I think has to do with like you see people going on these insane runs all the time in tournament poker especially cash game poker as well but. In tournaments, it's so noticeable. Whereas, like, they're just, you can just tell they're in the zone. They're like making all the right moves. Everything is working out, and I think there's there's so much to be to be learned from that. To to like 
gear your process towards being in that flow state and and tapping into whatever it was that you saw you know like maybe the play in itself is technically wrong but you saw something that that you made you feel like this is going to work you trusted your gut and and you have the rest results to back it up like uh, i mean it, it's happened too it happens too many times for it to be a coincidence you know what can you attribute it to as far as witnessing guys in this flow state when they're just <sighs> crushing everyone i think i, I mean like i, I I can I can only speak for myself, but like when when I am in that flow state, I trust my instincts. Like a fool that I could have talked talked myself into not making because it's technically wrong. It's like a snap fold in, in, in that state of mind. You're like you're so sure. You're like a hundred percent sure that the jacks are just like you don't even think twice about it. You know, like uh, they straight into the muck. And I think. That's can like, you quantify this though? Like, yeah, I, I, like I, see, I, this I, is, I can. Yeah. I can actually. Like, I, I think. I think. Just. I mean, I played this game for eleven years, and all that knowledge that I've like summed up is in a flow state, uh, much more accessible for, to me. Like in in that state, I'm uh, much more confident in my reads. I'm much more confident in executing the things that I know is right from 11 years of experience and also like countless hours of studies countless hours of play in different environments and just like observing people in, in a live environment as well like you you take you notice those little things that when when i sit at a light table and i think oh i hope nobody saw that you know like i hope nobody saw that little glimmer in my eye when i looked at my cards or i hope that nobody saw that uh, you know, like when I made that C bet, I really didn't feel strong, you know? And I think that when people are in that state, they're just like, gotcha, you know? And they never let, myself, you're never let off the, the hook, right? <laughs> when, I, when I'm in that state, I, I, I feel the same. I'm like, gotcha. You know, this guy just looks over at me and like, he looks super confident, but I, I look into his eyes and I'm like, oh, okay. Like I call, you know? And, and you, you can sense that they feel that, that they got got, you know? Where do you think that fe- comes from? Like this gut, this intuition, like spider sense type of, type of deal? Experience? Experience, experience, experience. Like countless, countless uh, simulations of similar situations leads up to uh, vast like database of knowledge, basically, that you pull from. It's... It's interesting that that poker players can't tap into this flow state all the time. What do you think prevents people from tapping into the flow state? I think you, I think you can actually. I think some people are are better at it, uh, or will have like a higher success rate. You know, like uh, the people that are taking it very seriously. You know, you see someone like C Justin. C Justin is like constantly working on his game. He is meditating. He's like meditating at the table. You see him having his little beam things that he's sitting with. And it's just like, it seems like it's always a process. And then of course you play against him on different days where maybe he's not as focused or like the stakes are lower. So he's not taking it as seriously or whatever. But say someone like Stephen Shedwick, for instance, like it seems like he's, always on his a game like it seems like he's always very very present he's always ready to kill everyone and everyone uh he's always ready to make a play if he feels like it's right he's just very tapped into so so i definitely think like with practice uh 
you can really elevate yourself to that level if that's your desired outcome you know like i'm not i'm not from the camp of like uh, i don't want my life to to be so much about perfection i want it to, i want to have like a very high level of accuracy and i want to tap into this in a more relaxed way for for me at least uh so i try to do things that, like I, I try to gear my process towards being something that works for me in my day-to-day life without putting that strain of like i want to be the best in the world because that's not my ambition currently i want to be very very good but i don't I don't, I'm not willing to, I know for myself that I'm not willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary in order to be the best, you know? And, yeah. And I'm, it's and an I'm unbalanced strategy. I think <laughs> going, going for being the best in the world is unbalanced in that a, a friend of mine was telling me that somebody asked him, he, he's an Olympian. Somebody asked him like, how do I become an Olympic gold medalist while being a good father? <laughs> and the the answer was you don't <laughs> you, you choose right you can either be be uh be a gold medal olympic winner and a shitty father or you can be a pretty good father and a shitty olympian like there's no in between it takes it's or, just or, 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 you find a part, or you find a partner that really compliments you that that is willing to support you through to that struggle that it is to to become uh, to achieve that level of greatness you know like you can still have a very balanced family situation it just takes a lot from your partner because your partner has to in, in that instance fill a lot of the voids that you're not willing to to do because your mind is preoccupied by you know like scaling the biggest mountain in the world or whatever you know whatever which makes that you is. which makes you not present with your kids right like you just yeah. you, you miss out on tons of time right you just don't have exactly. the time to invest to be to be to be there to be a great father i think it's you know it's it's tough uh, maintaining that balance and I, I really think that your your way aligns more with my way yeah. in life as far as not aspiring to be the greatest poker player in the world, not aspiring to be the highest stakes nosebleed player, but looking for fulfillment and balance in our life that this is what makes me happy as a human being. And I'm not saying that that's for everybody, right? Maybe there are some people that need that motivation to play the super high rollers, to play super high stakes nosebleed. Um, and that gives them fulfillment and happiness. And for them, you know, go for it. That's their path. Yeah. And I think there's also a point to be made for, you know, longevity in the game. Uh, you know, say you uh, work super, super hard for two or three years and, you know, like you achieve the goals that like you get to the level of playing super, super high. But during that time, you burn yourself out and you like, you really burn the candle at both ends and you get to the middle of it. And now, you might be depressed, you might be burnt out, you might not, not even be able to work for five years. Like, you know, we, we see this in all different uh, paths of life. And, and it's sometimes it's like surprising. Like these people, you thought they were way more balanced, but they just been pushing themselves so hard that just because they were doing things very well, it looks like they're successful. Whereas uh someone else that that is doing this process over like a five six year time span which is probably more realistic to achieve like uh, i mean like uh, i always when i make plans i always think okay this 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 thing will be done in a year you know 
and then two years later i'm like oh shit like <laughs> every single time it's always like that it takes like roughly two times the time that i have as a time frame in my mind and i could realistically achieve it in one year but i don't know how that would affect me i, I think it would affect me negatively in the long run i would be a way more stressed person and uh, have a less balanced lifestyle basically Goals always take longer to achieve than than we think when we're goal setting for ourselves. I think that that's one of the major reasons why like New Year's resolutions have such a high fail rate <laughs> is because people are not used to setting goals, and then all of a sudden they go absolutely crazy, and they just it's not sustainable. Um, they're not able not able to do it. I did. Speak I, with- I have a I have a sorry before before you continue. I have a I have a little bit of a different theory about especially New Year's resolutions. I think. One of the things that makes people fail the most is the is their fear of succeeding. So like you set your goal to go to the gym and run and be fit, right? But then you start doing this and you feel, oh, this actually makes me feel really good. I should always do this. Then now you have a new expectation, like you have a new level of expectations of your of yourself. And when you fail, which we all do all the time, like we always get to a point where, you know, like uh, I hurt my leg or this weekend I just want to be a couch potato and go back to eating chips. Then you make like your brain is so disappointed in itself and you as an entity is so disappointed in like you're that you didn't do this. Instead of just being like, okay, maybe I can take a weekend and you sit on the couch and eat chips and then I'll get back to the gym on Monday and it's fine. Like nothing has happened, but instead the brain says, don't do that again because you're going to hurt yourself. So it says, why try in the first place? Right. I think that's a very common thing. So like people start and they do that first week and the gym is always full after new year. And then everyone is like disappoints themselves when they get back to the couch and then they never show up again, which is the opposite of what you should be doing. You should just be like, it's okay that I take a week in a rest. Like I've, I've been pushing myself really hard. I've lost a bunch of weight. I feel good about it. You know what? I can have two bags of chips and like be a swine <laughs> for, for a day and take the next, next day off. And, and I can still like show up at the gym on Monday and, and it's fine. Two, one step back, two steps forward kind of mentality. Yeah. It's, um, everything in life is mindset, right? Like just all the things that we, we want to achieve, like our, our brains are constantly lying to us. And I think, trying to get tapped into our brain. Uh, I realized this while I'm at the gym. It's like I'm halfway through my workout. You know, I'm, I'm like 30 minutes in and my brain's telling me, all right, you can take off. Like you, you did enough. You're like, you're tired, you know, maybe you can't make it through. And like, it's every single time. And like after, you know, the hundredth time, one, one time I just realized like, why the fuck is my brain lying to me? Like, why is this happening over and over? <laughs> why before I go to the gym, is my brain saying, you can take the day off. It's no big deal, right? Man, you don't feel like it. You didn't sleep well. And, but I get to the was, gym. Like my body's ready. It, my body feels good. But my mind is just such a liar. That's really funny because for me, it's the exact opposite. Really? Like for me, for me, my first half hour is like, you can take on. Like, fuck this shit. You don't need this shit. And then after half an hour, there's always this moment where I kind of like, I just wake up and everything feels, I feel so connected and then it's usually like right around halfway through my workout where i'm like everything is turned on instead 
And I'm like, I don't want to leave. Like I could do, you know, another, I'm supposed to be there for another half hour. And I'm like, I don't want to get out of here. Like I rather, (laughs) I want to do like an hour extra because I feel so great in that moment. So it's funny that we work, I think like polar opposite in terms of, in terms of that, like I'm a slow starter and you're, you're started from the get-go and then you're like, okay, now we want to wind down. Yeah. Maybe it's, uh, who knows? Who knows the reasons why? I will say that, like, whatever I do, like with poker, I've always been uh, not a volume player, but a high intensity player. So, yeah. like, you know, for me, it's like everything's a sprint. <laughs> Even in sports, like it's quick twitch, not not endurance and super long distance. But it's like, yeah. you know, I have no idea. But it's have, very. Have you tried? Have you tried at the end of your workout to do? Something I taught, I learned from yoga is to always like integrate your workout. So lie down and just like let all the work, the movement that you done for the past hour, both physically and mentally, let that kind of like seep in. Like it's yeah, just let that code right over like what was previously done. No, I haven't actually. It's uh, it, it's called shalavasana in, in in yoga, and it's it's incredibly beneficial. Uh, yes, it's it's a very big hack. You take one or two minutes just lie down relax and and let the work that you don't integrate and it's you're gonna find some pretty amazing results from that is there like a mental visualization is it a meditative you, you can work with with different uh, kind of like strategizing around it you don't have to like basically you can just lie down and like feel work that has happened in your body and feel like all the movements that you've done and and that way you kind of like it's like software writing for the next time you're going to make the same movement, right? So like all those things that you did and like something felt good and something felt not so good and this one you were aligned and this one you're not, like now you actually have time to think about that and like let it integrate and see how does that feel in my body and where am I a little bit imbalanced? And then you're ready to also, you relax your muscles and you're ready to like continue facing your day. Uh, instead of still being in that little like uh, stress, you know, like you come out of the gym, you're like a little bit jacked and everything is a little bit like off. Now you, you're just that more inwardly centered uh, and it only takes a couple of minutes to, to achieve it. So I love that. I yeah. I can say that laying on the ground at the end of my workout, that's that's an easy, easy work in for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just laying down, <laughs> resting. But I'm all about, I'm all about, the meditation aspect of it and gaining awareness as to what's going on in your body and how you feel. And as poker players, understanding your emotions, understanding your awareness is probably most of the battle as a poker player. Like most people focus on the technical aspect of the game. And I would say Mm -hmm. that they could totally minimize the emotional aspect of the game in such a way that it's very detrimental to them just overall. And one thing I'm taking off, us off track here. I, I do have some some other questions. But one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I'm going to bring a friend on to talk about physiologically what's happening. But I found that in my poker career, again, this is the first time I've, I've put words to this publicly. It's uh, It flies in the face of everything that I've been taught in poker. And it might <laughs> I, I might lose some audience members um, and get just roasted on social media over this. But when the other day, I just said I was a high-intensity player, right? Typically, yeah. my, my cash sessions are a few hours and then break rejuvenation a few hours, break rejuvenation um, hopefully a few more hours is a typical day for me. When I get stuck, 
say, four buy-ins, I can go longer. I have more energy. My level of focus rises. Uh, I, I have more energy in my, just in my being. And mm-hmm. forever, I've, I've looked at that as a negative thing, as when you're stuck, when you're losing, you don't want to press, you just quit your poker session. This is the conventional wisdom, right? And over time, gaining awareness of this happening and seeing it happen in so many other people, like just, it's such a human response to this situation. I've come to the conclusion that I look forward to that. I look forward to this state of more energy and more focus when I'm stuck. That's going to allow me to put in more volume. Like I, I try to, I'm finding gratitude for this feeling. Yeah. Whereas most people are angry with themselves or it causes them to, to go on tilt or whatever it is. Um, and I'd like to know your thoughts about this, this kind of phenomenon as well that I've observed, but have only just really realized uh, what's happening. Well, I think, I think you're making a, just, just based on what you told me, I think you're making a smart adjustment. Like it's the same thing as going back to, you know, like the, the prefab chart stuff we were talking about. Like it doesn't, as long as your uh, analyze of the situation is in line with, with the reality of the situation, then uh, like positive or negative, that's just attributes that we make to something. But if this like enables you to have more energy, play better, uh, I think it's actually like is a really great quality tab, right? Like uh, you fi- like I think it's also manage you like makes you if you if you actually play better and you have more energy, then you're gonna have way less variance in the long run because every time you're losing, you're kind of like making some of that back by putting in quality volume. So I, I don't know if it's better, but I don't know that it's worse. Like I, yeah, I don't, like well, I, I think it's like it, it's, pretty even it, across the board. Yeah. But I mean, like the, then it's then it's at least not a negative. Uh, it doesn't have a negative. Uh, what's the word for it? Connotation, right? Like it's not attached to the negativity that would, I guess, generally be attributed to. Because why people have this like negative uh, connotation to it is because they do that when they're tilted, or they do that when they do play bad, right? Or so, they do it when they think they're going to be tilted, right? Maybe not. They're not even yeah. tilted. Maybe they're just angry or they're emotional and they're afraid that it's going to manifest in their play, whether it does or whether it doesn't is anybody's guess. Again, going back to awareness of, you know, you do something that is just like objectively horrible, then obviously you can call it a day. But otherwise, at least for me, it's like, but, but like, this is not, you know, this is not something that I've, stumbled across this is many examples of me doing this over my career you know a thousand times where i play longer when i'm stuck and witnessing it in other people and looking at like the conventional i guess sort of totally logical with no emotion idea of just quit when you're stuck kind of turns it on its head at least for me and i think for like seasoned professionals who have been through the emotions and have been through this countless times it's way more beneficial. Like if you're a recreational player or relatively new to the game, don't take what I'm saying right now to heart. <laughs> like <laughs> you need to, no, like don't, no, don't play for 48 hours when you're stuck. 
I, I you know what I I've seen I've seen guys at in at live tables like recreationals and they lose a hand and they just get up and leave the table, and I'm like you know what like that's the best thing you could have done right now, like for you in the in the state of mind like if you're a professional player of course like don't leave like you're gonna get another hand for free and you want to play it right, but you're seeing how upset they get by like losing that big hand or like whatever it is. I'm like, that's the most plus EV play you could make right now is leave the table, take a walk, drink a glass of water, whatever you need to do, and then come back. Right. So anyways, what, what like to, to get back to your initial question, I think it's very subjective. It's very subjective to, to the situation you're in. Like for me at, this point i'm pretty far like i'm pretty detached from you know like my immediate results uh, playing mtts for 11 years is like it really fucking hardens you like it, t- it takes a long time because i'm very competitive uh, it took me a long time to like get to where i am and it took a lot of work to get to where i am but the only time when i'm when i'm like actually like tilt it you know when you feel that like you your heart rate goes up you're you're like you feel the blood under your skin uh it's when i make like a like a big error you know i'm like this this was like really really a bad play and i and i wouldn't think i would make it after 11 years but you know what like we, we all we all make them and and it's gonna it's gonna happen i just try to minimize that and i really try to that's the only time i beat myself up because I know how terrible it makes me feel and I really want to kind of like, that's, that's my out, like that's my outlet where I'm like actually pissed. Like one time I had two of my friends staying at, with me. They're like, they're not poker players. Right. So I was at EPT Barcelona. I three bet sixes against some short stack to get it in like somewhat deep. I've been this whole tournament. I've been short, 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 short. He's grinding, 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 playing the short stack so fucking well. Uh, I get like two do- two double ups, and it's that feeling of like you go for a hike, you get up the mountain, and then you start walking down, and you see like the creek, and you're just like, oh shit, now I'm, I'm home safe, you know. You start like running, and you break your leg or something. <laughs> last, you know, last that last the uh, ski run of the day, like you go for a jump, you know. As always, when you break your knee or something, so it, I had the same feeling. Three bet sixes against some guy to get in, super fine. The big blind recreational guy that I know, and he like he's he's like has it here. He four bets, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna put it in, and like my <laughs> hand puts the chips in, and and like he's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, this sucks so much. Like, oh, calls off with jacks, and I used like, I mean, like ever since the chips went over the line. I'm just praying that, like, I'm like, this is so bad. This is so horrendously bad. And I'm, like, praying, like, please have a skin. <laughs> you know, like, please, just buy me a fake flip or, like, maybe make a really bad too tight fold. But, like, it's not going to happen, right? So if I've, I've never felt that I, that I wouldn't hit a two-out or more than I did this time, I was like, okay, you guys folded the other two sixes, right? Like, I'm just out of there. I get up to my room and my non-poker playing friends are there. They see me as kind of like an even keel guy. Like, you know, like I'm never super upset about stuff or like, ang- like really angry. And I just come up and I start kicking like the, the little like sofa bed that's on the side. I just like 
kick it and kick it and kick it until there's like pillows flying all over the room. And they just look at me like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, <laughs> and what the fuck happened to, to the person we know, you know? And then I'm like, okay, now I'm fine, you know? And, and, and that to me was, was really, I don't know, it's a very therapeutic moment to be like, these are the times when I actually get to have that like emotional outlet for, for these situations because A, I don't want to do it again. I recognize my mistake, but also like, it's nice to, you know, don't be a robot. You like, you want to be emotional in, in life in poker, you want to be more even keel, but I don't want to confuse that with my normal life because in my normal life, I don't want to, uh, I want to be more actively engaged with, my emotions and in my relationships and yeah for sure Uh, there's a there's a thing and i I, that animals do like when a a rabbit gets chased by another animal and it gets away they lay on the ground and they shake it's like an adrenaline release of of the moment uh obviously a very traumatizing thing right you're getting chased to get eaten like can a human (laughs) being can't even imagine such a thing happen but like happening but this is like normal for the rabbit right yeah it gets away and it lays on the ground and it shakes and it's like it's a release it's therapeutic for the animal and i think that in the same way like you're just releasing emotion and it's therapy, right? You're releasing adrenaline. You knew, obviously, from just the way that you tell the hand is like when your hand is out there, you're, you're hoping for a flip because you know what you did was just so bad that <laughs> you they let you out of jail by just giving you a flip, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> but I mean, again, like this is poker going back, going back to that. So imagine this, this happens online to what I was saying, right? You, you make this mistake, you get in with, get it in with sixes, you know, it's bad. The remaining MTTs that you have up, are you more focused or less focused? Well, I mean, like the, when, when I'm playing a session, I just don't allow myself to, you know, like I, I can just recognize the mistake, but I'm still super. It's not going to affect you like that. It's, 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 it can't it can't affect me like that because because then then that would spill like it would just take away my focus on like the next hand so i really try to just be in flow and like of course there will be mistakes happening but there are very few and far in between where there's like a major one and even if it is a major one it's just like yeah i can't i can't really change the fact that those chips are in the pot and probably not mine anymore it's interesting. Uh, so why? Gonna, why do you think it's different between live and online? Like, why is why is there this different reaction? Well, the thing live is like, well, the times when I actually like let myself feel this way and just like storm out of the tournament room and up to my room and <laughs> kick these pillows is because I I no longer have to be there in focus. Like, say a couple of years back, I there's probably a few times where I've done this and still had chips, and I probably should have done like the recreational. It's like left the table for three more hands or something, went to get a coffee and just like take a breather, you know? Nowadays, I'm, I've worked on my mental game a fair bit and I'm just resilient enough to like still sit there with a, with a straight face and maybe someone thinks I'm a psychopath and, and like will call off with a hand that has no business calling off later. But once, once I make a major mistake like that and, and, and I'm out, then, then I just have the freedom to act on, on my anger with myself you know and and i think that's a i think that's a healthy response to to do that but 
if meditation teaches you anything, it's just to kind of see reality for what it is and make decisions based on it and maybe not, you know, act on your emotions, even though you have them. They have more distance to to what your brain is telling you. It wants you to do. Instead, I can master my brain and say, well, I, I, maybe I'll be pissed later, but right now I'm just going to continue to focus on, on task and hunt. Yeah, when I'm online, it's like I, I get this number. When I do something dumb, I, like, like I just make that face like, mm. <laughs> I know that face. Yeah, mm, that wasn't good. But then, like, you can't dwell on it because, again, you're you're already dealt in at three other tables. But it's like, exactly, this yeah. is going to be embarrassing later in hand review. Okay, now let's move on. Um, well, well, yeah, and, but I, I I like that. You know, if if I'm showing one of my say my if I show hands to my horse and I make a mistake, I, I'm like, oh, that was really fucking bad, and and it's like. You you look at the hand, and if there's anything to learn, you learn from it. But I think it's it's so nice for other people. Like if you, if you can admit to your mistakes, it just opens up a whole new space for people to be comfortable with you. I don't uh, think you can be successful at poker if you can't admit your mistakes. I think that's almost a prerequisite to achieving greatness in poker is being able. Well, to- maybe or you or you're just a really big asshole, but like and and like pretty decent at poker because you just want to like you want you still want to be the best, right? But it, it's a pretty big asshole thing to never admit your mistakes. It almost seems like th- there's no feedback loop for improvement if you're assuming you're not making mistakes. And you're yeah. always making mistakes as poker players. I, I, I can use, like, off the top of my head, there's, like, a few names. That, like, when we have this conversation, they just bubble to, to the top of my head. And I'm like, yeah, they're pretty successful poker players, but they're also, like, really big assholes. <laughs> <laughs> And, I, and I'm pretty sure they never admitted a mistake in their life, you know. Uh, <laughs> Not yeah. going to mention any names, but uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not even going to investigate any further because um, <laughs> offending my offending potentially my pre the guests that have already come on or the guests that might come on in the future. Yo, Coach Brad here, and I have a very simple question. How would you like an opportunity to join Nick Howard's crew at Poker Detox? This is a chance for you to have world-class coaching and hop on the fast track to destroying online cash and MTTs without risking your own money or enduring years of pain trying to figure things out on your own. I recently had the good fortune to go behind the scenes with Nick and his detox crew to experience for myself their training methods, and quite frankly, I was blown away and have never seen anything like it. The Poker Detox system is both powerful enough to supercharge your game and simple enough to implement hand after hand. In the last year, they have verifiably fast-tracked multiple players from 50 no limit all the way up through 1k no limit, and on average, their players are winning 8 big blinds per 100 on non-app sites across all stakes, with the majority of volume being played at 200 through 500 no limit. However, this opportunity is not for wannabes or lazy bums. This is for folks who are obsessed and want to do the work so that they can reach their full potential as poker players. To qualify, you must be able to provide a break-even or winning graph in cash games or MTTs over the last three to six months and be willing to play full-time. To take the next step, all you have to do is send me that graph via email brad at enhanceyouredge.com 
or send a direct message to at Enhance Your Edge on Twitter, and I'll personally guide you through the next step in the process. Once again, that email is brad at EnhanceYourEdge.com, and the Twitter handle is at EnhanceYourEdge. Thank you for your time. I'd love to hear from you soon. And now, back to the show. I was interviewed on another podcast, the Rec Poker Podcast, and they asked me about a tournament hand. I don't even really play tournaments. And Mm -hmm. basically, there's two famous poker players involved, and they were asking me my thoughts and the breakdown. And basically, at the end of it, I'll just say the hand because it's easier this way. Sure. It's harder. Shoot. It's Go more it. tan- tangible. So I mean, I'm a poker player. I love hand masters. Let's go. I'm guessing the audience does too. You're actually a tournament player. <laughs> tournament player as well. I can't remember the details, but say there's 35 bigs. Um, UTG opens to 2.2. You know, you know how deep they are in the tournament? Like, do you know which stage of the tournament they're in? There's like 80 people left in the main event. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. So it's, okay. uh, it's pretty big. So it matters, yeah. Um, it matters, yeah. It's not a, not an irrelevant spot. Uh, UTG <laughs> UTG plus one opens two point two x. Everybody folds to us in the cut, and we have Ace of Hearts King X. Um, UTG's a well known, respected tournament player. What's what's what are your thoughts entering this situation? What are your likely actions? Thoughts are, are probably like, uh, depending on, like if, if it is the main event, I'm going to be a little bit mindful of, of like what the table looks like in my position at the table. If I have a really, really, really good uh, spot at the table, like I'm, I'm probably leaning towards mixing in a lot more flats than I generally would because uh, like XYZ reasons is basically like I... I make more money in, in other spots than I do here, even though it's a, like a, clearly like a profitable three, but I'm just, it's also a profitable fat. It's just like, don't fold your hand, you know? <laughs> yeah. Don't uh, fold. Folding and, is and out like, of the equation. And, and like, and like there's also maybe a bunch of other stuff, good stuff that could happen. Say there is a bunch of guys behind you with somewhere between 15 and 20 bigs. Now they can get it in with like a bunch of hands that would fold out normally. There are a lot of good things that can happen from, from padding. So like you can do squeezes. This, yeah. My, yeah, exactly. My, 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 my initial thing would probably be to be more flat heavy and still play like a somewhat high three, but, but it's like, he's not the spot, right? Like he's a well-respected player that opens a solid range under the gun or under gun one. Uh, it's like, it's not the most thrilling thing to get an ace king and and this dynamic, even though it's like fairly profitable with thirty five bigs. So I agree. that would be my that, that would be my like, that would be my like base coming in. And if I feed and he puts it in, then yeah, okay, fuck, like, let's go. Maybe I have a lot of chips in the main. But uh, I would be more risk averse than I generally would. And especially like, say I play the millions ten k in Barca, I'd be like, let's three bet get this in <laughs> because there is no spots in this tournament, <laughs> you know. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It, th- this was my thoughts too. Like, what's the what's the configuration of the table? Who are the opponents? Do I have better spots where I can basically just pick on people and have super high expectation moving forward? Why am I going to pick on this UTG plus one player who's world class? Um, just go out of my way to get in a, a spot with him when I can, you know, obviously play against the other guys. So that was my first question. I I said my default would probably be to three bet. Although I don't know, 
like I said, I, I don't play a ton of tournaments, so this is a little out of my out of my realm. Like cash game, it's always going to be three bet. Three bet's always yeah. the option because it's plus EV. But tournaments, you have a lot more considerations. It might be it might, like that might be higher higher expectation, like way higher. Uh, and, and depending on the dynamic of the table and future future expectations, so yeah. So opponent does three bet. Uh, they three bet Fair like re- really small, like maybe five point five x or something. Like so, two point two, five point five. Everybody folds and UTG plus one flats. We get a king ten deuce flop with the ten deuce of hearts. Mm-hmm. Check and now your action. Do we have a heart? In our hand? We have the ace of hearts. Yes. Ace of hearts, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, we used to have an auto, like, I would just always see about this board. Uh, it's, just, it's just too good for, for a position. It's really hard to defend. I would just see about to very small size and let them deal with it, basically. It's like... Uh, what is UTG plus one's right defense range here? I guess this is another operative question. I mean, to 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 smaller three, but I think he's a little bit wider than than normal so he has a lot more 10x which is good for us those are like mainly like he also has uh i think i don't think he's ever folding like king deck suited so like especially a little bit more elastic with the 10x which might be a good thing or that is a good thing for us in the spot and just like but i don't think for for the same reasons i think he's like not super wide because he, i think he gets a spot as well like we're another reg and we're like he's not going to try to like over defend against the side of positions. Like I think he sees his value as well. So, right. Maybe but, but to, maybe to, I to miss, size, miss, Yeah, to our size, he's he's going to defend frequently. Maybe I, I maybe I personally misranged the UTG plus one. I don't. I, I to me, I didn't think they would be defending like King Jack suited or like Queen Queen suited. I think I think any good entity like kind of realizes that. Once you, once you get a size down, you used to have to expand to your sense. Like, uh, you know, I see, I see these spots are the ones where I feel like, okay, Queen 10 suited is starting to look a bit more iffy, but like the hand is as strong as King Jack. You just have to make a, such a clear assumption that the imposition is, is like super knotted for it not to be uh, insanely profitable with hand. So I think most people like acknowledge this and make sure to have a defense that's just strong enough to to not like make every bluff that a position makes to this size like if it's ace five suit or whatever like insanely profitable right and again going back we we have no information right like we have we have these guys have been playing with each other for days so that they're gonna have a much better clue as to the three bet range um against each other and then the defense range based on the size downs and all this thing so we're working on limited information um sure so anyway so so villain flats the uh, villain c bets small i I can't remember 20 percent, whatever utg plus one flats and now there's like 0.8 spr turns it turns like a jack of diamonds and utg checks (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's uh that's just like the classic classic situation right like kind of shoving camp like because you have, you have like you now you have a you, the, your opponent's range is very split into two categories of hands like one category that drastically improved and another category that is uh, that you just got a, a lot higher EV 
like all of the one pair hands are now like one pair and open-ended type stuff or like at least one pair in a gutter right so it's like one part of your ace king wants to really extract value from the from the one pair plus gutter plus type region and the other one really doesn't want to smack it into ace queen <laughs> you know i find it to be one of the like kind of toughest spots to play against poker and i i would approach it in a way where Against an elite opponent, I would probably just like try to lean more towards the solver solution. Against and against someone weaker, I would really, really, really try my best to. I would probably always check, check it back and like hope that I get some type of information. You know, like really pay attention and see uh, if I if this guy shoves or puts in a bet. Like, how do I feel? His level of confidence is. Does it really feel like uh, not a and maybe I can find a hero fold if I really feel like I'm not sure. I'm probably leaning towards buff catching. And if I if I get some information, then that's great. Right? But and against like someone that I find to be more elite, that probably is a bit more elastic both pre-flop and with his little bit more like defending a little bit more uh, on the flop. I you know like now you can probably put it in to just deny equity and then like put his king queen in a really really tough spot you know stuff like that because i mean like if it's against a player like that then i'm also gonna be a little bit more crafty i'm gonna have a little bit few more blocks and and like uh, you know want to put in my ace five of uh, hearts and and that like top of flush draw i'm just gonna like he recognizes the situation and i want to make his bluff catcher is really indifferent uh so if he has like king queen now he's really in the shit right ace five of hearts i can certainly get behind ribbing I think yeah, ace yeah. five, ace I mean, five like, of hearts feels way better, <laughs> way better than ace king with the ace of hearts. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I'm saying from like if you if you're facing someone that will make good decisions and you want to stay closer to base, basically, and if you're up against someone that you feel like you can gather more information from, or that will uh, somehow make a mistake that sizing, etc. I don't know, like watching Ben Salsky plays MTTs. It's always like, I'm just going to check back here and see what he does, you know? Like, that's his strategy all the time. And I'm like, it's it's very smart because he's like very, he knows what these bet sizings means. He's looking for, uh, you know, like uh, timing tells and stuff like that. And he can gather more information that way. So that's just like his intelligent way of uh, exploiting just because of his vast knowledge and, uh, and just like high level of focus. So, uh, uh, but it, it's for like, this, this is, this is like that spot, right? Like we've, we've all been there so many times in this exact, in, with this exact feelings. And you're like, ah, on the one hand, but on the other hand, right? And it's like, yeah, mm, yeah. Mm. And then based on what your opponent has, either you look like a clown or you look like a genius. You know? <laughs> right. Which probably means that the situation's very, very close either way and yeah. over, over but, forever, but forever doesn't no, really no, matter, right? And, and these are the spots where like, if you do a review, it's perfect to to do a solve. And like, maybe if you think someone is like, you know, not check racing enough, then just lock, lock that in the solver and, and get to like, get to the situation that really represents what you, where you think you are in, in that, in the specific node that you want to investigate. Uh, I think mistake a lot of people do is they just like let it run to this point and they get there with 
with the range that's not representing, or like they, they give the imposition player like three different sizes of three bats or, or on C bats. And, and it's just like, no, realistically, it's just going to play one size. Like, just let, the, let, let it go to, to the point where you are in the hand, and then you, you get to make the best decision based on a solver that's clearly smarter than, than you and I are. So <laughs> let, it, let, let it do its thing and, and give the accurate input, and your output is going to be really, really great. Uh, the danger. The danger is getting the accurate input in the first place, right? That's that's yeah. the that's a tricky sticking point for most most everyone, really. Which, which is, I mean, I think it's I think it's great because so many people use solvers and they don't use them very well, which is which is great for me. I mean, they they, they can sit there and and try to play this solver style and not have a high level of accuracy or mixing the combos right. And I'm a big fan of simplifying uh, because I. I realize my own limitations um, and if i simplify i can like carry these strategies out for much higher accuracy for sure which is what which po- is which what is, poker is right and it's so comfortable it's so nice and comfy it's like you know nice nice comfortable sweater you can see that <laughs> yeah you're not so tightly wound that like uh <laughs> so intense and tightly wound that just anything completely disturbs you um, yeah exactly it's being being able to think on your feet, being able to use deductive reasoning, I think is the thing that matters most in poker. And like like you said about Sauce, he's checking back, he's getting more information. He's really good at understanding what this information means, which is very beneficial and valuable to him, which is just a great way to go about poker. Like it's just a uh, improving your deductive reasoning, your thought processes, asking yourself why, and paying attention. Like especially in a live sitting, like there's really setting there's no excuse for not paying attention because people are ex- are exploitable all around us with every hand that they play you can uncover exploitabilities um well with 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 that said i think i think it's really important to start even before you get to the live setting to understand what is it that you're looking to that you're looking for because if you sit down and you see someone make like a bunch of weird plays and you can't really like, you don't know what that category of player means. Like you, I think it's like, I think it's great talking to recreational players and just hearing their like thought process throughout a hand because I like whatever, like I'm not looking to exploit the guy that I'm, that I'm, that I'm talking to, but I find it very like philosophically interesting to see how people approach how they, what they think about it. You know, like I'm not a sociopath that like goes <laughs> in the break. You're like, what's up, guy? Like, how did you think about this? You know, but but I find it very interesting from a philosophical standpoint to kind of just talk with people about, oh yeah, no, I thought I thought it, I thought it like this, and and like so I try to so now I try to bluff, and I'm like, but you have like third pair, and and they're you know, and they're like, yeah, but it, I just, it just felt right because A, B, and C reasoning or whatever. Uh, it's really hard to go and, down, you know. With and, and, if, and if you if you don't know that sitting down at the table, then uh, you not you don't know what you're looking for. There's so many trees in the forest that all you see is a forest, basically. But if you know how to, which we can module now, like we have mass database research, we have ways of categorizing different player types, and we have ways of kind of like getting a better fundamental understanding for what it is these type of players in the pool does 
So once you have that knowledge coming to the table and you pay attention, now you can start, okay, this guy is super volatile. Like, this guy is very passive. What does that mean? Like, how should I uh, structure my defense against a three bet range from someone that's like has this very like top corner of the hands versus some guy that is like yay white, you know? So uh, that's, I think, where the table or where, where your work starts before getting there. And then you have to pay attention because then like all that knowledge that you get from uh, pay, from looking at people and seeing what they do, you can really utilize that. It's clearly a mistake meeting people at a level that they're not at. And <laughs> it's hard, like the curse of knowledge just makes it hard to think like people who think at a level that you're not at. Like it's hard to level down to the thought processes of an amateur player because you, we, most professionals haven't been amateurs in so long that it's like, it's hard to discern the why, like, why is somebody doing this? Like it looks so absurd sometimes, but like there's some thought process or rationale behind the decision. And when you, when you understand that, that gives you insight into their brain, how they're operating. Um, and then your adjustments make sense because the thing is like, I learned this very on very early on. There are many ways to lose at poker. Uh, you can be very creative in being a losing player and lo- different losing players lose very differently. So f- just yeah. figuring out how they're losing or why they're losing is, you know, kind of step one in the battle. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's just, and it's just an intelligent, effective way of, of going about it. So, so like once you, once you discern that someone is very tight, like, okay, how tight? do i think he is and then you model your off the table work in order to reflect that and like you know the 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 responses you get from from solver output is is someone sometimes like baffling you know like you feel like such a nit folding ace queen to to three bet but then then you see that like oh this is actually solver like super approved because like nothing good is going to happen you know i love that you say that too because so many people misuse solvers that it's such a detriment like in a live setting right like there are times i i folded kings pre four or five times in my life i've been shown aces every time and most people are like solvers never going to tell you to fold kings pre ever yeah however if you put if you input a range and node lock that your opponent only has aces it will tell you to fold, right? Yes. Like it's not going to tell you to get it in only against aces. I think it's that that accuracy that people get scared of. They get they're they're scared of ranging somebody down to only in that case like one hand or a very narrow range of hands. When in actuality, I, I do think that people are very predictable. Looking at like you said, mass database analysis, you can learn so much about what people are doing. And it's so consistent across the board, like hanging out with Nick Howard's crew for three or four days, I get to see like all the mass database analysis results and the feedback, some things that I intuitively recognized at the table, but then some things that I didn't intuitively recognize that that were very eye-opening, things to take Mm -hmm. advantage of. But it's like, you yeah, know, I mean, like even 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 the, like even the sickest guys that you play against, like even the the like craziest guy that you could imagine, is probably not going to put in a five bet without like without the blade, 
like and 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 if you have kings then he doesn't have ace king and he doesn't have kings himself so you're very likely to look into two aces and, and this this goes back to what you said about the flow state and when you're picking up all the information and you're just going with your intuition and your gut and you're making these killer decisions right you're just operating at a higher level than you normally do and trusting these your ability to discern ranges at a very, very high level and just following through. Moving to the lightning round. Um, when you think of joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Oh, wow. That's a, you know what? I think, I think like uh, Gus Hansen had this poker site way back when. And I like we, me and my friends from my football team, we always used to like, we were sitting at home playing on our computer and like one table, this like three year old tournament. I think like when I really started like beating the field in this like three year old tournament and like, I, you know, like it's like thousands and thousands of people. And I used to like started making the FT of this thing. Like, I mean, I was underage. I couldn't get the money out, but just like the pride of, of like, somehow hammering out a strategy that was good enough to like to like get through this massive field and and like be like a winner like that i think that's my like one of my most proud moments in poker actually to be like i beat my friends in my football team and i also beat this like massive field of, of players and like consistently did so like that was i take a lot of pride in that that's an awesome that's an awesome one it's Early in the beginning, there's so many feelings of joy like joy like that when you're beginning your career. I, I just realized too, and this is this is go circling back to the hand that we broke down um, at the WSOP with 80 people left. I do want to tell people the conclusion. So the guy in position shoved and got snap called by Ace Queen, and then he busted. And that was the that that's the end of the hand. But uh, just for those people that need that curiosity gap closed, like I know like. The pros typically, when we discuss hands, we we don't even look at the results a lot of times. Like they're the least fascinating part of a hand history analysis because you know that's that is what it is, right? Which, which, which is which is really cool. I think. Like I, I mean, like it's cool. I didn't even. It's, it's nice that you that you bring that up because it's it's really, I think, uh, says a lot about if you think about that a little bit more. Deeply, like it, it says a lot about my how far I've gotten in my mindset to not even really care. Like I just, I just care about the solution, and then the results will will be what it will be. But we, I think, we came to a conclusion where the ranges are like pretty somewhat narrow, and you get into a spot where like uh, it's it's pretty close. Like both both uh, both plays have uh, a lot of merits, and then we would have to like look into it and integrate it with a solver to be like, how often should we shove here for it to be like really good, you know? Yeah, I mean, like uh, you know, like I always want to know the results myself, but it's it's good, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing that I'm that I'm not so attached to it that, that like I, I could just let it go, you know? Like I, I probably wouldn't have ever thought about this until someone else told me a hand that was similar to this one. And I'm like, oh yeah, shit, what happened in the hand in the world series main, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I was just thinking about it and realized, oh, the audience probably wants to know the result. <laughs> Maybe we we probably want to at least tell them tell them what happened at the end there. I'm I'm um, I'm, ha- I'm happy too, and I'm uh, like I'm, yeah, it's it's queen. That's the it's the killer. You, you don't want to shove into and get snapped, and you're dead. You know, like anything, anything, but anything but ace queen. At least you have a yeah. gutter to like 
scoop the pot, you know, against the side. You don't want to <laughs> yeah. be like, a- chop, <laughs> please. A- yeah, please, please chop, please chop. Um, you know, like in the yeah. series main, you have your one time and it like it usually works, right? But this one, this time you have to do your one time for a three outer chop. Like that's that's not a that's not a fun thing. You know, you want to like at least spike the gutter on the guy and be like, "Well, it's my one time." You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my one time when it mattered. Yeah. For for the record, and I ha- again, maybe, maybe this is just confirmation bias, but when I when I was thinking about the hand on the show, I did my natural inclination was to check back the turn. Um, the jack I hated, like the jack just looked like death to me. Yeah, which I think but, is which I think is smart. I think it it would be the standardized play to do so, and, and it would be the one that gives you the highest EV. But if I'm up against an opponent that I think is very tough elite and that thinks about the game in a similar way that I do, then I think shove gets a lot more closer than because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get the information I'm looking to get by the checkback. So I'm not buying myself like any extra. I'm just trying to make the best play possible at the node that I'm in because I'm not going to get more from a future street. So uh, I think, I think and you, it, you you might and you you actually might. I think like you might and you might not. Like like you said, you know, those times when you bet and you realize like, oh, I had uh, you know a look in my eye and I hope nobody noticed that. Right? I think this this can definitely happen regardless of what level of play you are as a poker player. Um, I've seen guys that are, you know, they're playing super high stakes for a week and then all of a sudden they do something where it's like, I think of them as like a hardened professional that's not going to give something away. And I pick up on something and I'm like, holy shit. Like that was, (laughs) that's like very basic, basic and obvious. (laughs) Yeah. He's a human being. Right. And, uh, but of course we're more aware the the easiest way to think about it is like from my perspective of there's plenty of spots on the river where I've bet or I remember one spot specifically where I bet I can't remember the hand I can't remember anything but I just remember thinking in my head I was up against a really great player Jesse Yaganuma who's been on this show and I remember thinking in my head I hope he doesn't realize X because if he realizes X I'm fucked yeah and after like a minute of thought he raised me on the river and I don't know if he realized X or not, but it felt like he did in the moment. And <laughs> didn't, you, like, didn't you ask him when you had him on the show? Like, did you realize X? <laughs> I don't remember the hand. I don't even remember the spot. Yeah. I mean, like, and plus like back then we weren't, we weren't super close. So there's no chance he would have told me anything back then. I do remember a, an interesting hand I played with Jesse where like I had Kings, I threw bad, he cold forward at a cash cash game table and the flop was like three it was like three four five six or something like that and he see bets i call the turn is like a tray he bets again i call the river completes like a back door and but puts a straight on the board so like <laughs> deuce tray four five six and we're, we were we started like 10k deep and he like rips the river for like 5k but like he checked his whole cards before he ripped because it put up backdoor spades. Like he checked his whole cards, he rips, and then I check my whole cards <laughs> looking for the king of spades, <laughs> and uh, I call because I had you know I had if I had the king of spades, it makes it so 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 much yeah. easier of a call. And like he had aces with the ace of spades, and I had kings with the king of spades. <laughs> and like so our Jumping friend up. Mike, yeah, our friend Mike was like. That's hilarious. Like Jesse checked to see if he had the ace of spades. You checked to see if you had the king of spades, and then we just chopped it up. Anyway, I got us way off track again. Back- oh, that's that's fine. 
That's fine. I would like, like, like we said, we have, we do have a lot of time on our hands. So that's true. That's okay. true. Yeah. Um, when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I think I think there was like a lot of pain and suffering early on, just like living with my living and dying with my results a lot. I was very uh, attached to them, so I think that was uh, that was painful. I think uh, I also think like more more like over overhauling pains, like uh, you know, like dealing with. Uh, kind of being your own manager and like managing your life and like all the pitfalls that, that comes from that. I think it's, uh, you know, if, if uh, I would have been so thankful to, to myself, if I, if like someone would have uh, introduced meditation or mindfulness to me way earlier, like say even like going back to school, that this would be a practice that you start doing every day to like learn the dynamics of like, is controlling your brain because I've made so many decisions early in my career. You know, you get a lot of money, uh, you have a lot of freedom, you go to all these places and making a lot of decisions that leads to pain in the long run, you know, like it seemed fun at the time, but then maybe, maybe not so much. I think, I think those things are like the most painful, like, uh, you know, like you making decisions that leads to hurting other people. Uh, those are the things I like that I regret long term, and I see how it ended up there. And I don't think you know, like I don't uh, really blame myself because I was acting on the information that I had at the time. But looking back at it, I see the situation from maybe the other person's point of view, and it's like it doesn't shine the best light on me. Uh, so that the, 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 that to me is like actual pain. Like the rest of the rest of the stuff is like. You know, like I've, I've broken multiple bones in my body before, and, and and that's painful in a way, but but it's not real pain. Like you know that that's going to be fine, but something that stays with another person, or yeah, those are the things that I think. Yeah, I sometimes I hear people talk about not having regret in life, and I just think that they're like sociopathic. Like, how can you not have regret? I have regret. I have regret every single day over something. Like yeah. it's just it's such yeah. a natural thing to like look back at a past self and how you've acted in a spot. Yeah. Where like you're you're almost effectively a different human being than you are now and you just think, "Oh my god, why did I do that? Like why I you, you wish you could change it, right?" Like there's so, there's so so two two things on that. I think like the the one part is uh Generally, your mistakes that you made that like get that you blow up in your mind, like uh, say you know you said X to person A, and you feel like such a piece of shit for saying that. Like I've had multiple times in my life where I said something and I'm like, I'm like, how the fuck could I say that? I I must come across as the worst human being possible to this person. So like you know these are people I meet in poker, I met at a party or whatever, and then it, may, it might take like three to six months before I see them again. And I, I try to make a point of like holding myself to at least some standards. So like if I made a serious blunder, I go to the person. I apologize. Like I didn't really mean what I said there, or I felt stressed, and like that's why I I said this, or you know, like just trying to. Or you just say you're out of line. You know, I think exactly instead uh, of even rationalizing. Exactly. So, and but when I've done this, most of the people that I have apologized to have been like, please look at me, and they're like what are you talking about? And then they're like, oh, yeah, I think uh, I 
kind of forgot they used to say, yeah, but it, does, it doesn't matter. And then they're like, but thank you. Thank you so much for like actually coming and saying something about that. And, and it's just like, it's the same thing. Like once you can admit that you made a mistake, it opens up space for other people to feel comfortable admitting their mistakes as well, which is a huge relief. Uh, so I found the same uh, yeah. apologizing for something that I that f- I feel horrible about, and then they basically minimize it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I, I do wonder if like human beings are naturally averse to being vulnerable. And yeah. so somebody even admitting that something really bothered them, I think for a lot of people is hard. Yeah. So, I, but either way, I think it's appreciated if you take the time to say, it shows, know, to just go, go up to them shows, and make it, sure, right? It shows, it shows that you care and your actions do matter in, in that way. Like you, if you, if you don't, you never tell anyone you love them, then how do they actually know that you do? You know, like you can show that in your, they might feel that, that you are. But it's really important to verbalize that and to make sure that they they know that because that's what actually makes it real. Like it's not real in your head; it's real if if it's real to them, right? Absolutely. And then the second part you said about being like being like a sociopath. I think it's really uh, that like okay. I have a third pain in in poker, and it was when I started playing and I started kind of like figuring out the psychological because every day you go and you sit at a table and you play against seven or eight guys generally guys because there's not that many women in poker right and you really get to see what people go for like you get to see if they have it in them to pull a stone cold bluff on a river and you just look like it's monday you know even though it's friday (laughs) but it really gives you i think like it's like a microcosmos uh where you really get to uh, make decisions and you get to see how people like how they're inclined psychologically and you can spot weakness in, in people easier and you can kind of like uh, you're trying to spot leaks so that spilled over to my personal life like early on where I got all this like in intake of information and all this like oh shit like this is how people work and I'm like 20 years old and I'm just like playing the game and and all of a sudden i get to you know like uh, a party and i'm like oh this person is really insecure because i can spot that tell on them you know and that to me led to a lot of suffering for a while like me making like kind of like psychoanalyzing people in real life and like kind of like their pain was then like I took their pain upon me and and I really by kind of acknowledging that and not letting them just be I started to expose like that weakness in them you know it was it was like uh, I ex- kind of like uh, running some type of exploit and now I'm, that I'm aware of their leak they're more aware of their leak as well so it's like just magnifies even if even if that thing wasn't really that much of a deal to begin with. Can you give, give an example of exploiting somebody's psychological leak? Well, uh, it's, it's not it's not that I'm uh, like actively trying to belittle them or try to use this for something. But I just see, you know, like someone said a sentence and they just hesitated like a couple of times when saying this. So I'm like, I see that uh, maybe that was... Uh, insecurity of this or like speaking in front of people and 
And just by not just letting that be, by like actually like actively thinking about it, then that kind of like people are very intuitive, right? Like even if even if you don't say anything, people can kind of like sense that you're sensing it just by your body language and the way you look at them. And if you don't give a fuck, they're like, okay, cool, like whatever, I made a mistake. But when they can kind of feel that you're tapping into that like insecurity of theirs, then that obviously magnifies. And then now you're in this like co-relationship where it just keeps uh, keeps being more and more angst on top of each other. And I had to really like check myself to to realize like this was happening to me because I ended up in a lot of situations where I was feeling anxious and I didn't really know why this is like happened. So instead I, I had I had to try to like, okay, tone tone it back. You don't understand as much as you think you're understanding. And even if you do, it's not your place to do so. So trying to play poker outside of like a poker table is probably <laughs> probably not the best idea. Do you think that this level of empathy that you have for other people is one of the the things that has made you a great poker player? Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think it's one of my stronger sides for sure. I think it's it's a it's a good quality as long as utilized in in a good way. Uh, and I think, I mean, like you can say, yeah, poker is a game of math, but it's really also a game of like applied math. And like every situation changes based on you know like the the intuitive feeling of the situation. And uh, and I think you. Being an intuitive person, you can make those adjustments quicker and more uh, steadfast and more solid and, f- and sound than than I would be if I was a less uh, person that was less in tune with uh, with the situation, basically. And I, and I think that empathy is a thing that's hard. It almost seems like we're born more empathetic or less empathetic, just human biology. This is pure speculation, but I would say that May, my my theory that I just came up with on the spot that could be a hundred percent wrong is that like less empathetic people in general are probably going to be more inclined to a strategy that's closer to GTO or trying to find answers because if you don't understand people and what people are thinking and how they're reacting, then what else do you have other than just pure math and pure hand charts and ranging and running the solvers. And I do think that like poker players specifically, you know, especially if they're on the more or they're on the less social side of human beings, maybe do lack empathy and try to try to make up for it in the on the more technical side. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree with the sentiment. I am more on the on the nurture type of side of things where it's like how how you end up there unless unless like you know like I, I worked for a long time with people with asperger's syndrome and they're born with it you know like they're born on on the spectrum and they're just like really good at certain things and really bad at other things right but but i think uh, most most of these things are, are are nurture some of your physicality i think is more nature and then the psychological stuff is more nurture which which i think is like quite a relieving thing because you can always change your nurture it just takes a longer time to to teach an old horse to sit when they're old right right and i i want to i guess i I do want to go back and a little bit and say that yeah i agree with you in that it's it's more nurture as far as psychologically basically what i'm saying is by the time you become old enough to be a poker player 
that's when that view is pretty much set, whether you're empathetic or not, based on childhood upbringing, your experiences in life, just who you are, who you are at that stage. Um, I think it's what I was more trying to say. Yeah. And I, and I, but I think that like, even, even if you do have a predisposition towards something, it's like, uh, if you, if you have the will to change it and you don't, and you're not like on the spectrum, you can always change it. Like poker is a game that kind of gears you more to more towards being, uh, I think like a little bit more isolated and, and it's like really easy to use it as a escape from, you know, having to have interactions with people and like everything, you know, like being, being social is not something that all people have, uh, comes naturally to people. Like it's, it's like going to the gym. If you want to work out a muscle or it's like meditating, that's like the gym for your mind. Right. So learning different techniques to, to be more social and then also go out there and, and like try out things, you know, like I think the, the one thing that uh, helped me the most was going backpacking and traveling by myself. I just constantly had to put myself in uncomfortable situations. And I did that for so many times, so, you know, getting to a new hostel, not knowing anyone there, having to feel awkward and like walking up to people and hoping that they want to hang out with me, that type of stuff. It's like you realize after a while that like most of your interactions are so positive, but in your mind you make make up this whole like, oh people are gonna hate me or like I'm not that interesting or yada yada, you know. Instead of just coming into a situation and like generally people are super nice, and if they're not, then that's fine. You don't want to hang out with them anyways, right? So it's like it's it's a win-win type of situation. It's just. If if you never try it, it's like the monster under your bed, right? Like it's really it's really scary because it's dark there. But once you've been there a few times and you're comfortable with with that it's dark underneath, like there's nothing there, right? Yeah, you just have to realize these agreements that you have made about yourself in life that I don't I don't like big crowds. I don't like X. I'm not the type of person that does X, right? Yeah. Because these agreements were probably made at a very young age and could very well not be the truth of the matter and until you push yourself towards uncomfortability that's only when you're going to realize that you know oh well yeah maybe this wasn't true and i did believe it about myself yeah i mean like at least at least you know at least do like for the listeners out there at least do yourself a favor to put yourself in these uncomfortable situations you know say somewhere between three and ten times depending on like how bad you feel or like if you have a real like if you really didn't enjoy this thing like really didn't then maybe do it just three times to see if it's like okay maybe this wasn't for you but generally do yourself a favor and like try things that are just uncomfortable uh more than a few times and you might be very surprised to see what is at the other side like it might be a space that you never thought you would uh, enjoy you might actually like really enjoy these interactions with these people you might actually really get something from them or you, you might even learn something about yourself it's a it's a it's a slippery slope but it's a good slippery slope <laughs> <laughs> it's asymmetrical it's an asymmetrical experiment where the downside typically is very small with a massive massive huge upside and exactly. where you have to go through is just your own fear and your own doubt and your own insecurity that's that's the the barrier to entry Yes. Um, uh, you, yeah. Uh, one added thing. Uh, YouTube, the hero's the hero's journey. I think it's a it's a excellent analogy 
just in terms of this as a life philosophy, basically. So heroes, heroes journey on YouTube. There's multiple videos. They're all talking about the same subject. Uh, Joseph Campbell, right? I'm pretty sure the hero, hero's journey is a book by Joseph Campbell. Maybe it is. I've only seen like the the shortened down YouTube versions maybe, of it. I know he he wrote it, the hero of a thousand faces. Yeah. But anyway, it, it, just check it out. It's check, check, check out, out the short YouTube video, not the book, because I'll, of I'll, I'll, I'll send you a good one, and you can post it in the description. Maybe it's uh, okay. Perfect. It's a, yeah. it's a really really nice way of thinking about uh, you know your life and taking charge of it and and understanding that everyone goes through the same type of cycles that you do is like, it's not, it's not exclusive to you. Uh, we all go through the same ups and downs and, and that it has to happen that way, basically. Like every great movie is based on, based on those same principles and concepts. You're going to see a lot of similarities in, in that. Right. Humans are built for story and yeah. those are, those are the best stories because we we're living a story, right? Like we, we are the protagonists, I think in our, in our own stories. Yeah. Um, if you could erect a, a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on their way to the casino. What, what would it say? More right is better. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, I, I, oof, that's really tough. There's so many things you want to say, right? I think, uh, one thing that, that I really like that really resonated with me, uh, Rick Salmon, he's usually like, he wears this hat and it says, be here now. And I think that's something that I utilize a lot in my life. Like when I'm not very present, I, I sit at a table and I just like repeat this in my head, like be here now. And just arriving at like the now, it's a very good mantra to, to reconnect with like your experience in the now. Uh, so I saw this on like a hat when he was playing some high stake game. And I'm like, that's, that's bloody genius. Uh, I read, so that that's what I would put. That's what I put. Be here now. That's a great one. Now. Yeah. That's a great one. If you could give all poker players one book to read, what would it be? Oof, all poker players. I mean, like I, I have a lot of books that I would recommend for for myself, but all poker players, like the broad audience, I think. Drive. Doesn't have to be poker. No, I, I think. Related, I think by the way. No, I think I think a book called Drive by his name is. Daniel Pink, I think. And it's called, it's called like Drive the Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. Uh, it's a pretty old book. He wrote another book after that that I didn't enjoy as much, but Drive I thought was really, really good. It really taps into like, why do we do things? And uh, how much money do you need to, like how much of a motivator is money and why is it a motivator? I think it's, yeah, he wrote another book called To Settle is Human, and I didn't enjoy that as much because I'm not a seller. So. <laughs> but, but, goes, but I'm really that, interested that, in motivation and drive. So that right. That, we, that kind of circles, circles back to the, you know, one of the original questions that I asked you, like, why, why do poker players have a default strategy, right? Like, why do we do what we do? Just constantly asking what drives us? Why, yeah. why do we do this thing that seems so automatic and then kind of break it apart? And I, there's always insightful, awesome lessons to learn when, when you do that. Yeah, I, I have that book somewhere somewhere at home. Uh, and it's like, I've read it a bunch of times. It's really worn. It has like this cool cover that kind of looked like a Tetris type thing. And I'm like, you know, like when I when I get that nice bookshelf in my house, like the custom built like white bookshelf is just going to be there like right in the middle. 
So yeah, it's it's a really really great book, and I think it like it really holds over time as well. Solid, Those are the best ones. The, solid solid the, research and solid takeaways. Yeah, social proof of it being worn down and you rereading it over and over makes it automatically more valuable to everybody yeah. listening. And if and if uh, you want to read something more like that's not like as factual, uh, I think uh, all of Herman Hesse's books are are really great. They're very short short novels uh, that really like all has a lot of ancient type of wisdom in them and like really short condensed reads that will really like get the reader something out of it. So yes, what is it? Siddhartha, Steppenwolf, uh, what else? Yes, like, uh, Damien. Damien is really good. So like those are more uh, literary books that I, I feel people could really get something out of. I learned a lot from those. Awesome, man. Um, what's a project you're working on right now that's near and dear to your heart? I guess myself. I uh, went through a breakup with my ex-girlfriend. Uh, I've known her for close to nine years, and we've been uh, we lived together for four years. So that's obviously like a big change. Uh, you know, separating from someone and uh, finding just—I've I've always been—I've always been my own my own person. Even in I've never been that person that like gets into a relationship and that's just me. But it's it's obviously still a major change. Uh, so I think my project for now has been just me, and then I have some like you know like I have my day to day running business. I have a lot of people that I work with in poker, and and we have a bunch of different. The products that we are uh, constantly involved in, but uh, my biggest project right now has been me, and, uh, and I think it's going okay, going quite well. <laughs> this is I, this is always the safe answer because I think at the root of humans, this is always the project, right? At the <laughs> at the end of the day, we're always a working project. We're always working on ourselves. True, true. Um, so sometimes it's there's more moving parts. It takes more <laughs> effort, right? Right. And other so, times you just in flow and you don't really like just show up. You wake up every day and you're already like there and present. You know, uh, other days disruptions. Disruptions bring big awareness. Yeah. Leaving a serious relationship or just some sort of life disruption. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, man. So, final question: Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the world? Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter. So it's A-N-T-O-N, Anton, and then underscore W-I-G-G. I think that's the only platform that I have uh, available for everyone. If you want to ask any questions, um, I'm always, I'm, 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 I pride myself on being an honest person. So if you have any questions, I'll give you an honest answer if you hit me up there. Awesome, man. It's been, it's been great having you on this uh social isolation quarantine episode <laughs> of chasing poker greatness okay, so <laughs> I, I have a feeling my my interviews might start going longer um while everybody is socially isolated in quarantine yeah, why not why not right uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be here i've, I've listened to your, to your pod a bunch and i think you're a great interviewer you have very relevant questions and i, and I see that you're uh, I wouldn't go on any podcast, but I see that you're trying to bring something more than just the poker aspect, which I really appreciate. Uh, I think think it could be more of that in poker in general. You know, like content that doesn't just have to be poker. It's also 
lifestyle and, and poker like if you're a professional poker player it is your lifestyle so i think it's important to balance you you spend a lot more times away from the table than you do on the table and yeah. a lot of the a lot of I, what, what i'm finding is you know you hit the nail on the head with something that you said earlier that a lot of the struggles that i've been through a lot of my pain and my suffering could have been prevented had i known that other people were going through the same exact pain and suffering without ever verbalizing it or talking about it. And this is something that I find on this show that it's very common, all the things that poker players go through, all these different emotions and feelings throughout their poker career and their poker journey. So for the audience listening, you know, I, I really appreciate what you said. And for the audience listening, like this is your opportunity to hear from these people who have experienced something that maybe you will experience or that you're going through. And hopefully you can take it to heart and really meditate on the wisdom that, that my guests provide because it will ease your suffering on this poker journey and help out over, over your career. Yeah. hundred percent. Anton, let's do this again. Let's do this uh, round two. Sounds hopefully, good. hopefully not a worldwide pandemic type situation, but uh, maybe in a year or two. Hey man, you know what? All the smart people that I'm, all the really smart people I've met in my life, they all echoed one thing, and they've all said this one thing: it is what it is. And I find that to be so comforting and so like such a easy, such an easy, simple uh, truth that's so close. You know, like. Okay, the situation is, is a bit more dire than usual, but it is what it is. And once you accept that, then that's the first step in moving forward and, and taking charge of you know the next moment that you have. So, Super helpful in poker sense too. You yeah. make a mistake, you have a low degree of certainty, you punt, it is what it is, right? And, you, and, that, and, that, and that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was bad. It is what it is. And now li- life goes on. Yeah, exactly. um, thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.